The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley. With me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine time. Yourself? Doing well. Thanks yeah, for being here. Good to see you. Joining Father Jenkins and myself is our uh, resident legal expert, Mr. Thomas Condon. He's been on the program a couple times now. It's great to have you back, Mr. Condon. How are you? Oh, thank you very well, thanks. Good deal, good deal. Well, Father Jenkins, Mr. Condon, there have uh, been a couple of high-profile Supreme Court cases recently uh, here in the United States that have really some, some rather serious ramifications for, for Christians in America. And uh, so I just kind of like to get, get your opinion on, on these cases. Uh, I guess, Father, we can start with you. In, in general, you know, first, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we had the case where the, uh, the Supreme Court decided, uh, they, they sided with Governor Newsom in California concerning the, uh, the, the very strict, harsh restrictions that he placed on, on churches, limiting the amount of attendees that are permitted to attend church services in, in California. Uh, so there was that one, and then just yesterday, I believe, we had the uh, the case where the Supreme Court ruled that the so-called gender identity is uh, included in the protections of the civil rights law. So, uh, Father, these are definitely some very, very serious decisions that are that are coming about. What kind of ramifications do these have for Christians in America? Well, I fear that they have very bad. Uh, they, they bode it very ill for those practicing the faith, especially the traditional Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I was trying to uh, uh, get some good legal perspective on this. And of course, the first person I call for that is Mr. <laughs> Condit. That's right. And so I was uh, looking to have Mr. Condit uh, give us uh, some good legal insights in such a way that you know non-attorneys can understand this. And uh, we see the ruling of the Supreme Court um, in favor, well, actually against the churches that were trying to have them uh, overturn Governor Newsom's, as you say, harsh and restrictive uh, requirements for public worship in California. And uh, the court actually uh, put, put aside or rejected that, that plea of the churches and upheld uh, Governor Newsom's restrictions, and that concerned me. And now we have, as you say, a, a ruling six to three uh, that the the court has actually interpreted the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include gender identity right, as a, a protection, as protected under law uh, against discrimination. And uh, as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, they're playing philosopher again, because in 1973, with the Roe versus Wade decision, they decided to play philosophy and decide uh, they were going to have to deal with the issue of when human life begins. And uh, so they went from uh, uh, being judges in civil law to playing philosopher and uses such expressions as potential life and so on in their rulings. And I thought, maybe they're playing philosopher again, uh, you know, in trying to uh, philosophize and, and uh, adjust the definition, right, of even, even of sex itself. So uh, I thought that Mr. Condit's insights would be much appreciated. I know I appreciate them, and I expect that our own, our viewers would get a lot from them too. So I'm going to actually uh, pass the question back through you to Mr. Condit, if that's okay. Mr. Condit, I see right. you set up your uh, your official legal shop here. Well, I'm, I've got a few notes. I, I, I want to <laughs> let you know you broke my first cardinal rule by calling uh -oh. me an expert. Oh, okay. I never Sorry. let anyone call me an expert. <laughs> okay. I see. Uh, I see. Uh, well, let, let me pick up on uh, uh, the, the California thing first, which is mm -hmm. really a much smaller thing with smaller ramifications and simpler to address. Uh, I first, uh, you know, going into both of these things, though, I... I um, I brought with me a quote that Justice Souter, another really disappointing Republican 
appointee of the Bush family, mm-hmm. years ago made a statement in an opinion that was, I don't think was a case of great import for people like us, but it, it was an interesting one line that he wrote, and I actually kept it because I, I thought I'd already witnessed this being true, and in, in, especially in representing Christians and their civil liberties through the years. Mm-hmm. In a case, Justice Souter said, of course, there is usually a case somewhere that provides comfort for just about any claim. And, and th- th- I found that to be true. Now, but, but, and, and what uh, even happens here, in other words, judges, there's principles of law out there everywhere, in some case, some context, that may not be transferable to some other context. But it will be. I mean, if someone finds a good quote, if these judges find a good quote that likes to, to take them where they want to go, it's there somewhere. Okay, that's what mm-hmm. Justice Souter is saying. And any any legal decision, uh, you know, it, it it turns on the facts and it turns on the law. And you start changing the facts and the law, the, the application of the law might change. And this California little, we'll call it a decision, is a great example of that because what that what that um, case is about. I've already lost it here. <laughs> Doesn't take me long. All right, that's uh, South Bay United Pentecostal Church versus Gavin Newsom, right. government of California. Yeah. So this was um, this is something that we can feel not as threatened by because of the nature of the decision. This was a law, this was an application to the U.S. Supreme Court after a lower court made an unfavorable decision for the church, which tried to go into court and get an order protecting their religious freedom, the church, the population that could go to church on Sundays against these very restrictive orders that we've seen here in Ohio and elsewhere. And after the lower court gave an unfavorable decision, the church applied for an injunction to the U.S. Supreme Court. In other words, it's not, it's a very quick thing. The full case is not even in front of the Supreme Court yet. And the justices, all the nine justices of the Supreme Court all have a different region or circuit in the country where they hear applications like this and decide them on their own. Um, and this one went to Justice Kagan, seeking relief for the church, and um, and she denied it. And so the denial of that application generated two opinions. One was opinion of Chief Justice Roberts, a concurring opinion in the denial. So he gave a reason. He wrote why he agreed with the denial. Mm-hmm. And that was just a little three-page opinion. And then Justice Kavanaugh, uh, joined by Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch, wrote a dissenting opinion saying why they would have granted the injunction to stay the order there in California. <clears throat> so these opinions aren't really opinions of the court. These, are, these won't have great precedential value in the future. It's simply the denial of, a, of, of an injunction at the earliest stage of a case, which may turn out differently later once the case is fully brought before the court. So it's just a very preliminary Is thing. the case going to be fully brought uh, before the court? I, I'm assuming yeah. it will, but it also, I guess, could come become moot at some point, sure. right? If, the, if California loosens things up and mm-hmm. by the time the court deals with it, it might be a moot point. <laughs> but s- significant, just to explain to people and to pick up on my statement about Justice Souter's uh, quote and the, the facts change and the laws change. Let me just read a couple of things to, to give people a feel for um, what most people, most sensible people feel in their guts, that something's wrong here and it seems to be a moving target at all times. We never can really seem to satisfy the courts no matter what we do. Or there's always some reason. They, and, and so here, here's an example of it. So, um, so the California had guidelines currently limiting attendance at places of worship to 25% of building capacity or a maximum of 100 attendees. So that's what they were trying to attack. And Justice um, Roberts wrote this opinion uh, agreeing with the denial of any relief. Mm-hmm. And, and his statement was, um, these, this is his view of the facts. Okay, um, 
He says, although California's guidelines place restrictions on places of worship, those restrictions appear consistent with the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Similar or more severe restrictions apply to comparable secular gatherings, including lectures, concerts, movie showings, spectator sports, and theatrical performances, where large groups of people gather in close proximity for extended periods of time. And the order exempts or treats more leniently only dissimilar activities, such as operating grocery stores, banks, and laundromats, in which people neither congregate in large groups nor remain in close proximity for extended periods. Now, well, first of all, this is one justice giving his view of the fact that he sees them about life and laundromats, I suppose. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's his opinion. But, but then you go... Then you go to um, Justice uh, Kavanaugh, and he says the basic constitutional problem is that comparable secular businesses are not subject. So it's, they just have a different view of the facts completely, mm -hmm. are not comparable, uh, are not subject to a 25% occupancy cap, including factories, offices, supermarkets, restaurants, retail stores, pharmacies, shopping malls, pet grooming shops, bookstores, floors, hair salons, and cannabis dispensaries. Good. So, so, here, so he lays out a lot more. He, you know, wh why didn't the idea of large factories, why didn't that get into <clears throat> Justice Roberts' mm -hmm. list of, laundry list of things? Well, how about retail stores, shopping malls? See, he just leaves those out mm -hmm. to, to say, oh, this is okay. They're all being treated equally. So that's the essence of that. Basically, two justices taking uh, uh, you know, a very different view of the facts, or at least publishing a different view of the facts. Now, Tom, uh, if I may ask you this question, something troubles me about this, okay? The very idea, though, that the standard that is being used here is that, well, these restrictions that are being placed on the churches and those attending those churches for worship are not are comparable to the restrictions being placed on retail businesses and so on. Doesn't religion have more of a, a standing before the law than secular business? I mean, in their constitution, or no? I mean, in their tradition as a, as a country. So why are they using that as a standard to judge? You know, whether this is well, as long as we're imposing no more restrictions on churches than we are on, uh, let's say, um, penny arcades, right? Soda. Right, uh, candy stores and so on. I mean, is that a fair standard of judgment in our country? Well, two things. You are right. Shopping malls and laundromats aren't in the First Amendment, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> there we go. Not the so, last time I looked. Yeah, so you're right about that. I think the principle of law that, uh, hopefully I'll articulate here correctly, that I don't think we would generally find objectionable is that the government had to oppose certain things. Let's say fire safety. Say fire safety. <clears throat> fire safety should apply just as much to a church and a school as it, as it should to any place. We don't want anybody yeah. getting killed in a fire. <clears throat> and therefore, religion may not get any special treatment there because it has nothing to do with religion. It has to do with fires. So that's the principle that sometimes, as long as you're not literally, literally disfavoring religion, then the secular purpose of something can, you know, applies equally to religious could, institutions. Could, couldn't we make the case that religious institutions are being, uh, you know, disfavored uh, compared to other things? You know, we have uh, Home Depot is considered yeah. an essential business now, while, while churches are, are man some, a lot of churches are mandated to be shut. Is that not, you know, placing, or even laundromats, are laundromats not higher now than... Churches. You know, and I think that's what Justice Kavanaugh is saying. Mm -hmm. is that, I mean, he's, he's, he's doing a more fair Maybe comparison and saying yeah. that, no, they are being disfavored here. Yeah. Uh, so that's two different justices going different places mm -hmm. with really a different set of facts. And then from that, they cite of some case law that kind of kicks in Justice Souter's thing. If you, can, <laughs> if you want to go somewhere, there's always going to be a case somewhere that you can pull the <clears throat> quote out and use it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, in the end, so, so the California church in the end did not get any immediate relief from the, the burdens of the California governor's order, which is a problem because it's going to go on for months probably. And uh, the, the other thing about this, and I don't want to, I never want to get too legalistic here because it's, but you know, as I read it, the, the, um, Justice Roberts in his explanation 
gave, made a distinction between the fact that the church sought an injunction against the governor's order and, instead of just a stay of the order, which, mm-hmm. uh, and, and he makes some dis- legal distinction, the standards higher for an injunction, all that, but in real terms, and I've dealt with injunctions in my life, in real terms, I, I, to me it's a distinction without a difference. Yeah. Whether it's an injunction, if it's a preliminary injunction, which could always be rescinded, or a stay, saying we're just keeping the status quo, which is really all an injunction does, a mm-hmm. preliminary injunction, or a temporary restraining order. People have heard of restraining mm-hmm. orders. All right. These are these are like keep the status quo. We're not changing anything until we have a chance to he- develop more evidence or something. Mm-hmm. The, the, Roberts made a big distinction between the two, suggesting that oh, if if they had only sought a stay and not an injunction, which has a higher standard then maybe we could have granted this. And I, I'm completely unpersuaded by that. Mm. I, I don't think there's a true difference there. <coughs> okay. Not in this case, uh, there isn't. Do you think he's being disingenuous? Well, probably. <laughs> I see. Okay. He wouldn't. <laughs> uh, Mr. Khan, I have a, a question for you, just from a uh, simple layperson perspective. What, what is the, the definition of a, uh, of, a, of a judge, of their responsibility? I think we, we often hear that, that their, their role is to interpret the law. And uh, as a professional interpreter myself, I can tell you that interpretation by its very nature is, is subjective. And so you have as many different interpretations as you, as you have interpreters. But there's a, a very, very, uh, very large distinction between an interpretation and a translation. Uh, and, and I think that, that perhaps could, could we say that, a, that rather than merely interpreting the law, a judge's role is to apply the law and uh, not just kind of have this vague person-by-person subjective uh, interpretation of the law. Um, I guess I'd say yes or no. Well, for, first of all, let's keep in mind the constitutional standard. Judges are supposed to, to decide cases and controversies. Yeah. Right? Even the U.S. Supreme Court, this really gets lost. The U.S. Supreme Court is deciding a case. This, this Title, uh, Title VII case decided yesterday under the Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. of 1964. That was a case involving some very specific parties, right? Smith mm-hmm. sued Jones or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're deciding that case. Mm-hmm. But what they've become through the years with these decrees about what's in the Constitution is, is something akin to a king. I so mm-hmm. just they issue these decrees that not only decide that case, they change the laws and the moralities of an entire country, right? Because their, deci- well, their decisions, when they decide a case, mm-hmm. that's binding precedent. So... <clears throat> So by necessity, all like cases should be decided under that press, under federal law at least. <laughs> but um, I just don't think it ever was intended to become what it has become, which is an okay, oligarchy. Okay, right now we are now here comes this decision. Now all of our lives are going to change, even though there was only about mm. ten people who were parties to that case. Just like Roe versus Wade. Yeah, just like yep, every they strike right. Roe v. Wade struck down the abortion laws of all fifty states. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little lawsuit between Norma McCorvey suing the Attorney General of Texas. Look what it did to all of us. Mm-hmm. So that that's the, my first answer to your question. The other question is. You made a distinction between applying the law and interpreting the law. And um, I'm not sure how bad I'll fumble if I try to start getting into that. I will say this. There are, there are rules of statutory construction, for example, that certain words are going to be or mean certain things. Um, for example, shall, shall does not mean maybe. maybe. <laughs> shall means shall. Right? There's all kinds of rules of statutory construction when judges have to look at a law and decide what it means. And so, um, and that's where you get into this whole battle of someone being a strict constructualist or a textualist yeah. versus, you know, the living, breathing constitution and the living, breathing laws where we're basically going to update this 19th. And this, this is what happened. Now, if we were moving into that area, the. A majority of the U.S. Supreme Court decided to update the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to give it meaning 
in the era of transgenderism in the year 2020. That's what they decided to do. And Justice um, Alito's dissent, which was very strong and, and, and evoked warm memories of Justice Scalia uh, <laughs> writing his dissents, he started his opinion, which I've already probably messed up with staples here. Here's the first sentence of Justice Alito's dissent. There is only one word for what the court has done today, legislation. Okay. There it is, mm -hmm. I just said. So they, they did not interpret anything. They just updated it to, to bring, up, bring us into the, I, I mean, understand this. So they have said, what they have said is discrimination based on sex equates to discrimination based on sexual orientation and discrimination based on transgender status. These are now all the same thing, and they have the same rank now as race or age for discrimination, right? So, in 1964, there was no thought of these things. There was right? no there thought of these things. Them. But it's worse than that. And, and Alito and then Kavanaugh and his dissent to some extent also make that very point. And Alito makes the point that, that even now there are two different bills, I think one in the House, one in the Senate, that are just frozen in motion to where, where the, you know, the Democrats have tried to get sexual orientation and transgenderism into the amended, into that act, so that those would also be rights. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't oh. pass through Congress. They're suspended, they're tabled or whatever. They're, they're sitting in Congress right now. So even our modern legislators oh, okay. understand mm -hmm. that those things aren't yet in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Mm -hmm. They tried to get them in, they didn't have the votes. And Alito makes that point. Well, how, that's interesting. How disingenuous the it is. The Supreme Court just yeah. took the, the yeah. law into their own hands. Right. That, that's what they did. And, and, to, um, and to get back again to the idea of interpretation, if the words are not clear, um, the, the principle is that you look at the words as they were meant at the time they were written. Mm -hmm. And therefore, as you said, Father, sir, I mean, homosexuality was a known disorder and indeed classified as a psychiatric disorder mm -hmm. in 1964. Yep. Right? Transgenderism probably was only in the most perverse minds at the time. and very, It wasn't part of the national dialogue at all. So the odds that the the uh, senators and representatives in 1964 had those things in mind, we all know, are the, the odds of that are virtually non-existent. We know that, mm -hmm. and therefore the 2020 Supreme Court decided to legislate them in under the guise of a judicial decision. Hmm. Father Jenkins, what what's a uh, what's a Catholic perspective on on all of this? Obviously, it doesn't bode well for our country. It seems that our uh, our own government is kind of unleashing these direct attacks on, on Christians and just anyone who, who loves has any kind of love for the truth. What, what is a good Catholic perspective on these events? I mean, traditional Catholics would have to see that as an attack on reality, an attack on God, His sovereignty, His creation, right? Have to uh, look upon it as a, uh, a gratuitous assertion of uh, the rights of perversion in our society, and uh, this is what I was going to ask Mr. Goddard about. What are the practical consequences of this for churches, for religion, you know, that, that sees uh, these things uh, as perversions and as things that are um, gravely sinful and things that we cannot, uh, that we cannot endorse, we cannot approve of, we cannot even allow to uh, uh, be part of our, our operations, you know, so we have to make sure that these things do not enter into the, uh, the churches, right? The operation of the church or anything that the church is responsible for, schools and so on. So, uh, such that if someone were to say, well, um, I've been uh, father of so-and-so here at this, Novus, this New Order parish here, but uh, I'm coming back next year to teach school as Sister, you know, Mary Relevant or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and that could happen today. I mean, oddly enough, it, it could happen today. Yeah. Um, or 
Well, I mean, the number of things that I don't necessarily want to get into right now, but people have enough of an imagination to understand what kind of perversions could come from this. And are there any protections for this? Or is this actually uh, telling the, you know, the, any, any religious body that stands against this that they are in the uh, crosshairs of the government now? And, and mo notably in the crosshairs of the LGBTQ movement, right, right. we're going to come after them to put them on the spot in order to destroy them. Right. Well, first of all, have no doubt that the LGBT movement Q will, will <laughs> it, they will come after everybody. And they were coming after everybody aggressively before they had rights in order to get the rights. <clears throat> so they're, com they're coming. It's bad, bad, ominous news mm -hmm. for secular society, for sure. Now, let me naively give a ray of hope to the, to the religious in this world, at least because the U.S. Supreme Court has written these things. And we'll see what kind of staying power they have over time. <clears throat> but... In the Obergefell decision, and other than my recent uh, appearances here, my last flurry of appearances on what Catholics believe was back in the, the, when the gay marriage decision, some of those came down. So um, the, the Obergefell decision, which declared that gay marriage is in the U.S. Constitution, they did, at the end of their opinion, say this. Finally, it must be emphasized that religions and those who adhere to religious doctrines may continue to advocate with utmost sincere conviction that by divine precepts, same-sex marriage should not be condoned. The First Amendment ensures that religious organizations and persons are given proper protection as they seek to teach the principles that are so fulfilling and so central to their lives and faiths and to their own deep aspirations to continue the family structure they have long revered. So, they, well, I think they knew they had to do this. That they, they had to at least throw the bone to the religious organizations uh, that they do actually have First Amendment rights still. That was supposed to be reassuring. Yeah, that was supposed to be reassuring. And now, so that's there. Now, at the end that, of... The date of that was... The, the date year. of that was... Um, I think it was 2015 when it came out. Mm -hmm. Thanks. So. 15 or 16. 15. Um, so then we have the. Um, by the way, the name of this decision yesterday is Bostock versus Clayton County, mm -hmm. uh, Clayton County, Georgia. So it's, it was a, the majority opinion was 33 pages, and he, I'm about to read what's on page 32. Okay. Uh, it says separately, the employers, those are the ones who, you know, lost that case. The employers fear that complying with Title VII's requirement in cases like ours may require some employers to violate their religious convictions. We are also deeply concerned with preserving the promise of the free exercise of religion enshrined in our Constitution. That guarantee lies at the heart of our pluralistic society. But worries about how Title VII may intersect with religious liberties are nothing new. They even predate the statute's passage. As a result of its deliberations in adopting the law, Congress included an express statutory exception for religious organizations. This court has also recognized that the First Amendment can bar the application of employment discrimination laws, quote, to claims concerning the employment relationship between a religious institution and its ministers, and they cite a case. And Congress has gone a step further yet in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. That statute prohibits the federal government from substantially burdening a person's exercise of religion unless it demonstrates that doing so both furthers a blah, 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 legal, legalese. So th there's nothing terribly reassuring about the way that particular passage ends. But they're at least acknowledging that there's problem. And if I remember reading, if I remember something else in this opinion, it went, uh, this Bostock case went before the Supreme Court without any religious issues being asserted. So it was not on religious grounds that this case was decided, and they've they've kind of said that that you know that's all ultimately going to be for another day. Now this is uh, written by Gorsuch, is that right? That's right. Majority of the right. Yeah. So they 
twice now in five years, they acknowledge as they have to that the, the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution has not gone away and they're going to have to, you know, deal with it and accommodate as a constitutional right the religious institutions on this kind of thing. But we've got two conflicting rights now, right? Civil rights. We do. And the First Amendment should always prevail over a statute. Mm -hmm. The Constitution prevails over statutes. Right. So that should not be any question even, really. Right. But, but you, do you foresee it becoming a question? I absolutely foresee it becoming a question. It's, it looks as though they've kind of set up yeah. this, this showdown. Yeah. It's a high noon, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you note know that they're going to force this issue, right? Oh, there's no question. I, I, you just imagine the, the, uh, just imagine the homosexuals and the, all the derivations of that, mm -hmm. that, that, that have been quietly teaching in a school somewhere. You know, and then suddenly, now you know they're going to. Mm -hmm. Because as I think I've said on this show before, this idea that they just want to live in harmony and be members of the community and be left alone, I mean, that, that's about the most monumental lie that's out there about the gay and lesbian. They are here to make us bend the knee. Mm -hmm. They are not here just for peace and acceptance. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I, I determined that in depositions I took 17 years ago. Okay, yeah. so that is not what they're about. And I think that's such an important point to make because you know they're they're built as this kind of uh, you know warriors fighting for fighting for equal rights and uh, th this great just cause and everything but like father said this is two totally different different rights here um you know we, we talk about the the gay marriage uh d decision there and you know they're, they're claiming that they're fighting for for equal rights but in fact this is an entirely new right i mean you you look at what what right do do uh do you know your your average everyday heterosexual american what what right do they have in regards to marriage it's to marry one member of the opposite sex well that same right perfectly applies to to any homosexual person they have that exact same right, right. to marry right. one person of That's the right. opposite sex but what they're asking for here is an entirely new Right. Right. This is what's called special class status. I mean, they, they, that's why you, you see a lot of people that, you know, the, the blue collar white guy who just says, where are my rights? I mean, I, I'm getting, you know, got, say guys that apply to be, you know, policemen or firemen, you know, they got these tests and they, you know, they have the physical tests and written examinations to become a fireman. And lots of times the minorities are given, you know, 10 points right off the top, you know, just, oh, yeah. okay, you know, mm -hmm. so he's black, they get 10 <laughs> points, the Hispanics get 15 points. It's like reverse. Yeah, oh, it's ab <laughs> it is absolutely that. And, uh, and it's called affirmative action, of course. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's exactly why you get the, the, the you know. What, what, is, what is the legal definition of, uh, of, of this, um, um, with this kind of discrimination where, uh, you know, we're talking about this discrimination against against uh, the gender equality movement. You know, I, I, I recently was watching a, a documentary concerning the Middle Ages and uh, the presenter of this documentary said that the the Catholic Church during the Middle Ages, they, they practiced a lot of discrimination. They, they were really definitely discriminated. But they discriminated against groups like murderers, rapists, <laughs> pillagers, and things like this. So in that instance, discrimination was, in fact, a good thing. So what is the legal definition of discrimination? Can it be good? Can it be bad? What is it? Um, gee, I, I don't know. Not to put you on that. the spot, sorry. But, 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 it, but it brings to mind the writings of the great late, late great Joseph Sobern, who once commented that words like gay and discrimination used to be perfectly good words. <laughs> yeah. And now they've been completely... Uh, well, they probably say would say discrimination against people for these reasons, right? Right. Not because of crime, but because of exercising their civil rights. To discriminate them mm -hmm. against them for that, yeah. that would be unacceptable. You know, something people have to realize, uh, all of us... So keep in mind that whenever a right is accorded to anyone, even a single individual, it imposes an obligation on everyone else, right? <clears throat> to recognize that right, to yield to that right, to honor that right. So every time a right is recognized as belonging to an individual or a group of people, 
Everyone else in the society now has a burden of an obligation under law to honor that right and has to bow before that right, right? And I, I mean, courts have to decide, I guess, Tom, you would know, you know, about how to balance rights. Mm. You know, you were just saying, well, statute has to yield to constitution, right? Right. But the fact is, it all comes down to the, it all comes down to this that when everybody, everybody claims a right, it's in, it's claiming everyone else has a burden on them to recognize my right. And um, so, you know, we, we hear about, oh, look, isn't that nice? You know, they, they recognize these people have a right to be happy doing what they're doing, whatever it might be. And we should all want them to be happy, right? It's a lot more than that. There's much more to it than that. It imposes, imposes an obligation, a burden, a duty on everybody else in the society to recognize and honor that right. Whether their conscience permits it or not, they, legally they're bound to acknowledge that. But uh, you know, we, we have entered into a time in uh, our society where, um, well, for example, would you consider it to be discrimination for me, or to be racist, or to be anti, whatever, a certain segment of the population? If I, if I said, look, <clears throat> there are certain black people who've committed violent crimes. And so, as far as I'm concerned, I regard all black people as guilty of violent crimes. <clears throat> I would say, well, there are some black people who are looting stores, so as far as I'm concerned, they're all looters, right? Well, you consider that just or unjust? Unjust. Of course it would be unjust, right? I'd be embarrassed to think that, and you know I wouldn't say it if I, if I thought it was true, because I know it's not true. It's not just, but, but in the name of justice now, we're saying all white people are racist. Because some people, some white people are racist, right? Mm -hmm. All policemen are guilty of police brutality because some are. In the name of justice, no, we're saying that, right? In the name of justice, we're saying that all cops have to be defunded. They all have to go, right? The entire uh, idea of a police force has to be abandoned now because some police have been unworthy of the, of the call that, that they've made, uh, that they've answered there and answered badly. So I'm going to say now, in justice, I have to disband and dis defund all the police, right? I have to demonize all the white people um, because, again, um, a few are guilty of these things. So uh, the very uh, concept of justice here now, where people are abusing this word, and it's, uh, it really is disgraceful. Um, who was it who was saying recently that when you uh, adopt the vocabulary of the the opposition, you've already lost the yeah. battle? Right? I, I saw that attributed to Confucius. I think. Well, Beth, well, there you go. It has <laughs> yeah. a certain pedigree, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's a true. I think I think the conservative side of the political spectrum commits that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Error all the time. Today's conservatives are yesterday's well, liberals. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I, you recall, Father, I once made a little public speech at Planned Parenthood where I said we need to get the we mm -hmm. need to get the term abortionist back into. Mm -hmm. Let's quit calling them abortion doctors, mm -hmm. or, or you know, because they hate the word abortionist. That, mm -hmm. For whatever reason, they mm -hmm. hate that. The um, judges hate it. They don't want that used in a courtroom. Right. Pro-choice. Pro yeah, yeah pro-choice. Yeah, we've we got to get away from all that. Mm -hmm. um, so I agree with I agree with that. We, mm -hmm. So now, Father, I did want to say you really put meat on the bone of one of my favorite Joe Sobernisms when you were talking. You were, now, these are high compliments. <laughs> uh, Sobern said, why is it that every time the court discovers a new right, the rest of us are less free? Mm -hmm. that, that's exactly what you were <laughs> yeah. saying. Okay. Yeah. And um, so if there was a question dangling, I, maybe we've beaten it to death. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, well, the Catholic perspective is what right, this program right, is really right, all about, sure. after yeah. all. And uh, I thank you very much for <clears throat> telling us the legal ramifications of this. And what we can expect, because people hear about these decisions, they're, they're watching the news, listening to the news. The uh, ladies and gentlemen of the press uh, are interpreting it for everyone, right? Uh, chortling with joy about what a great triumph this is for these poor, uh, you know, poor oppressed LGBTQ people. And people might be 
pretending to join in the party in the celebration without realizing, wait a minute, I just lost my liberties. <clears throat> I've just had a burden imposed upon me now to go along with this. Even those who might not have a problem with LGBTQ, <clears throat> even they are going to be in a situation now where they might have to let somebody go because of malfeasance, theft, who knows what else. But all they have to do is appeal to the fact, well, gee, I'm L or B or G or TQMLIWE, whatever it is, you know, and that's why you let me go. And you have to, you have to prove to, you know, that, to the court now that that's not why you really fired me. So it puts everybody at risk. Oh, right, right, right. Just the cost of defense, the cost of legal defense is going to be in the hundreds of billions of dollars mm -hmm. over the next 20 years as these people as these people come after everybody around them. It just amazes me yeah. that Gorsuch and other and Roberts, mm -hmm. right, could so blithely just yeah. sign yeah. off on this. Yeah. Something that so completely yeah. uh, shakes to its foundations our, our very national existence. Right. right. <laughs> yes. And, the and the liberties know, of all of these people in this country. To, to, sacrificed. To, 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 to make the point that I'm not just here like lashing out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, th there were there in the last eight years have been these high profile cases from around the country of the the, the baker with the wedding cake, right, the right. florist with the flowers, the photographer, mm -hmm. all these gay wedding things mm -hmm. that they come to the Christians, wanting the Christians to provide this for our gay wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, the, um, the, and I the case now I don't keep the case names in my head. If I heard them, I'd know them. But the florist in particular, it was a case that struck me as very sad and, and very um, uh, illustrative of the point mm -hmm. that the florist who got sued by the homosexuals because she did not, she, she, was, she, she, she just wasn't comfortable and was compelled against contributing to their gay wedding. These were ongoing customers of mm -hmm. hers. She had always served them. She considered mm -hmm. them friends. Mm -hmm. They had to know, they had to know what she was like. Mm -hmm. And yet they went after her. Mm -hmm. This was someone who they, who, they went after her. They, they, uh, they wanted to destroy her. They wanted person. to destroy her. They wanted to make the Christian bend her knee. Mm -hmm. They were willing to destroy a friend and someone who had treated them well, rather than going to any one of who knows how many other florists would have without mm -hmm. controversy given them exactly what they wanted. Mm -hmm. People need to understand. This is what we're dealing with. They've, uh, they, 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 you know, I've seen it. More, I've just seen it again and again. They're not what they claim to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you know, Tom, it was always the church historically that would stand up for the true rights, God-given rights, mm -hmm. of people, right? But now the modernists, the modernists have so completely laid waste. The church, right? Their, the, their new order church is not only prostrating the dust, but where uh, it is not only absolutely impotent to oppose these things, uh, it is actually favoring these things and promoting these things and applauding these things, okay? And you have a faint voice here and there every now and then that, you know, is raised to say, but I, I object and they are immediately plowed under by the fellow clergy and members mm -hmm. of the Novus Ordo, the New Order Church. And um, so what, what Archbishop Vigano said recently in his letter is so true that after Vatican II, there was formed this parallel church, which is uh, kind of like the opposite of the real true Catholic Church. And that's what we're dealing with now. And so there, there are very few voices now that can be raised in order to protest these things and stand up for the, the genuine rights of the people. The result of that is going to be that um, their rights are going to be just trampled down, trodden underfoot, and it's going to be the, it's going to be mob rule. We see that beginning in this country, but it's the result of a long process. And this is, again, just one phase of that process, I'm afraid, that we see what's lying, what lies ahead is just something is going to get worse and worse, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, at this point, uh, you know, you can't call upon uh, 
any holy father to stand up, right, and uh, defend as a father the flock, right? Um, but nonetheless, Our Lady told us that we do have a father in heaven, clearly, you know, who certainly cares for us. And uh, we also have a mother in heaven, Blessed Mother herself, right, whom God has placed in that position for us. So we have to seriously pray. We have, to, we have to pray very hard for our country. We have to pray for the people of our country. But at the same time, if we're going to pray courageously, we've got to pray with conviction, we've got to pray with courage, and we've got to stand up for what is right. And we've got to let our voices be heard and denounce this as being wrong and not be caving in all the time because we're afraid of the consequences. We see this happening and what's going on throughout the country right now. People who are in a position of, of authority, where they should use that authority for the good of the nation, are caving in because of pressure, right? Brought by anarchists, revolutionaries, leftists, Marxists, right? Uh, who are bludgeoning them uh, with shame or bludgeoning them with, with uh, threats, you know? Give in, give in, give in. And so we give and give and give. You know, there have to be some people who will stand sort of like the prophets of old and and not yield. There was a, um, y you know the story is going around, I'm sure there are plenty of accounts to back it up, that these uh, protesters with the BLM are uh, surrounding white people mostly and insisting that they take a knee, insisting that they take a knee, and if they don't they get beaten up, if they do they get beaten up too, insisting they take a knee uh, before their, their stores are looted. Of course, the stores are looted anyway, whether they take the knee or not. But the point is, they, you mentioned taking a knee, taking a knee, bending the knee, bending the knee. You mentioned that a number of times. It is so symbolic. It is so symbolic. Our own uh, sheriff here did that, right? For the line of protesters, Antifa, BLM, and all that, insisting, take a knee, take a knee. Take. Took a knee, it might appease them. Well, whatever it meant to him, that's not what it means to them. What it means to them is submission, 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 and admission, admission that we are right, and you are wrong, and uh, you know you're guilty, and we are we have every right to oppress you now, right? In in response to what mm -hmm. you've done, you owe it to us now. Your submission. Imagine the example that set to the other officer. We're supposed to be standing there. And uh, as, a, as a wall of defense, right, it's against society, of, on behalf of society against these revolutionaries, these anarchists, you know. Now, there are some legitimate protesters there, I'm sure, mm -hmm. who were there, uh, you know, for honest reasons, right? Unfortunately, the leftists look, they, they smell like sharks and blood in the water, right. and they're right there right. to use that. Right. And uh, I'm sorry that the legitimate protesters um, would allow that would allow them to come in and uh, to uh, destroy the very legitimacy of their protest and divert it into something that they don't want, right. I'm sure. Well, but nonetheless, the, uh, the fact is, the more, the more you give them, the more you give, uh, the more they're going to take. They're emboldened by right. this. And so we have to be emboldened by our faith and by our love for God. And we have to put it in those terms, not just that well, I'm tired of giving way. It's not just that. It's a matter of standing up for what is right. It's a matter of standing up for our faith, for our church, for our families, for our, for our God. And we have to take that as a sacred duty. Right. Afar, you said a couple of things that have triggered reaction. Joe Sober? <laughs> no, no, no Sobernism came to mind, but uh, a couple of things. First of all, what you were just describing Actually, not just so my dad. My dad always would say some people mistake kindness for weakness mm. and they just keep coming for more. You know, they mm. keep trying to push it further. And that's very much, I think, what you've described. It. But maybe they, it's not a mistake. Yeah, no, no, it's not a mistake. Right. It's not a mistake. Um, some people would portray weakness. As, uh, they portray it as kindness. Right. But it really is weakness. Right? Well, and, so, and some. Right. So the, the, another contrast I was thinking as you were talking you know, back in the really hard uh, street activist days of the pro-life movement in the 80s and the 90s in particular, uh, if anyone was in any way violent or, you know, you'd have some abortion clinic bombings or fire or arsons, 
once a year, once every couple of years, maybe. All pro-lifers were violent, mm -hmm. right? The, the news media, it's a violent movement. They're all violent, right? Now, the exact opposite's happening here. As long as a couple of these people out at the riots are peaceful, they're all peaceful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's Mostly a, peaceful. It, it, you're right. It's, it's a complete Mostly flip. people riot. Yeah, the rioters are to be discarded because this is a peaceful First Amendment assembly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the narrative. We get, it's a completely mm -hmm. the opposite mm -hmm. of how the pro-lifers were treated in the media you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, I, again, I, I brought a few things I found of interest, and maybe this would be the way I can close with this. You, Father, were talking about the need to stand up and be lions you know, in, in the face of all this instead of giving in. I want to read the contrast between, uh, from two dissenting opinions, both Catholics, but Justice Scalia being a lion, and then compare that to what uh, Justice Kavanaugh just wrote at the end of his dissent in this Bostock case. Mm -hmm. So in Justice Scalia dissenting from the gay marriage decision five years ago, wrote in his dissent, it is clear from this that the court has taken sides in the culture war, departing from its role of assuring as neutral observer that the democratic rules of engagement are observed. Many Americans do not want persons who openly engage in homosexual conduct as partners in their business, as scoutmasters for their children, as teachers in their children's schools, or as boarders in their home. They view this as protecting themselves and their families from a lifestyle that they believe to be immoral and destructive. So that's Scalia holding the line against mm -hmm. the, uh, the renegade liberal majority. Now, Justice Kavanaugh, dissenting in the Bostock case yesterday, wrote really what I, I didn't read it carefully, but scanning it, it looked like a very solid analysis of why the statutory interpretation of the majority was way out of bounds. Mm. It was a pretty solid analysis. But then at the end of the opinion, he throws this little nugget out there. Notwithstanding my concern about the court's transgression of the Constitution's separation of powers, it is appropriate to acknowledge the important victory achieved today by gay and lesbian Americans. Millions of gay and lesbian Americans have worked hard for many decades to achieve equal treatment in fact and in law. They have exhibited extraordinary vision, tenacity, and grit, battling often steep odds in the legislative and judicial arenas, not to mention their daily lives. They have advanced powerful policy arguments and can take pride in today's result. So, in other words, he, that's this, what I, this, he disagreed with the decision. This decision attacks the Constitution of the United States of America, but congratulations. Yes, yes. Okay, isn't that wonderful? That's probably... Th that you, you've accomplished something there's, admirable. There's the protege of Justice Kennedy right there. Oh, my goodness. So, what can we expect from Justice Kavanaugh in the future? Mm. I'm not going to bet a lot on him. Bozell, Bozell. Wow. That's incredible. Well, uh, Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion. He's a Trump right. justice. Kavanaugh wrote that, okay, he's a uh, Trump on the other justice. side, and he's a Trump justice. Yeah. And this is as good as it gets right now. Uh, we're, in, we're in hot water. Yeah. We're in trouble. Yeah. Wow. You notice the Old Testament? The prophets were raining against the judges of Israel because of their injustice, you know, because of their... Uh, destruction of the rights that God gives, right, and, and how unjust they were. And I fear we're uh, entering a period of time uh, when God's judgment of our judgments is going to be very severe. Mm -hmm. and Father, I, one last point I wanted to make is, you know, several, several things we've said throughout tonight's program uh, really just remind one of, of Satan, really, of, of just these demonic activities that we see from the left and the, the so-called LGBTQ, uh, whatever it is, crowd, where, you know, we, we talked about this, this idea of, of them not, not really having any true friends, you know, where they'll turn against their friends, and uh, what is that but, but Satanism, where there's, there's no true love, even if they are 
um, you know, any kind of bond there. It's not any kind of real true true friendship. We talked about this idea of, of constantly bending the knee, bowing down to them. Well, what was that? But but Satan's uh, temptation to to our Lord that we read about in, in St. Matthew's Gospel. And um, so so many other things, uh, you know, the, the more you give them, the more they want to take. Uh, that's that's exactly that's Satanism to it to a T. Um, so really, this this isn't a, a fight necessarily against the <coughs> Supreme Court justices or against the uh, any members of the, the LGBT crowd. It, it's really a, a fight against principalities and, and, power, and mm. powers. I mean, th- this is a, a fight against the, the powers of, of hell. And I know, Father, you, mm. you recently asked that. Uh, that we all begin praying the, the litany to St. Michael the Archangel. I think that's a wonderful yeah. idea, something we can do for our, for our country here, and I think yeah. uh, that that would well, be... All the more reason now, because uh, as if to put a, an exclamation point on what you've said here, this Sunday, the vernal equinox, we have the, get this, Luciferian March for Global government for one world government luciferian march they call it that luciferian march for one world government going down here in platt park in cincinnati downtown cincinnati beginning at two o'clock in the afternoon on sunday june 21st right there's going to be a solar eclipse they're talking about the ring of fire they're talking about the blood moon They're, they're saying all of this is coming together and they're doing this to fulfill, they say, the Luciferians, the Revelations. Now, is that supposed to be the book of the Apocalypse? What's in the book of Revelation, as it's called sometimes? Uh, They just say in in the Revelations, right? So uh, this is going down right here in the heart of Cincinnati this Sunday. And we'll see see what, uh, what comes of that. The Woman's March with all of its... Uh, ribald uh, viciousness, savagery, and uh, and foulness of language. I mean, all of these people use the F word. Mm-hmm. Every other word they say, practically, is an obscenity, right? And uh, I guess it's supposed to make them sound angry uh, as a substitute for intelligent, right? That, that's supposed to be the way they express their, their outrage. But, uh, but now for the same part, this Luciferian march is, is proceeding now. So we'll see what comes of that. Um, but I see that, as you do, I think, as, as a, a natural development of all of these things, right? Going back to abortion, going back to Roe versus Wade, it's all of a piece. It's a development of the same basic ideas. Where is it going to end? Well, for some in hell and for others in heaven. Um, but what happens in the meantime? It, you know, people are going to be here raising their children in the midst of this this mess. So, uh, you know, Satan wants to create hell on earth, and uh, I'm afraid he's uh, uh, certainly uh, laid the foundations for it, hasn't he? Isn't he? For for what it's worth, we have some First Amendment rights down at that park, even during their demonstration. Do we really? Huh? <laughs> yes, we do. Maybe we ought to assert those rights. <laughs> wow. Well, Mr. Conda, any final comments before uh, we close here? I don't think so. I think okay. I've said my piece. Said it all. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Father Jenkins, final comments? Just uh, God bless you all that we have a lot to fight for. And we might be frightened because we have so much to lose. But the very fact that we have so much to lose is because we have so much. We have so much. And so much to be grateful for. If we're afraid of losing it because we have so much to lose, that should remind us how much we have and how much we have to be grateful for. So uh, there's the first step. Be grateful to God for the blessings we have. And uh, accept the responsibility that comes with them. Because with rights come responsibilities. The, those, those who are attacking our rights now don't want responsibilities. They want all the rights and no responsibilities and they want us to look upon our rights as mere privileges that they allow us to have but can take away at any time and we can't allow that because those are god-given rights we have to fight for them uh even as we fight for our faith and we fight for our lord himself and his prerogatives and his rights we have to pray fight for god's rights so uh if we're not ready for the fight then uh we don't deserve the rights that we have and we've already forfeited them anyway. It's just a matter of time. 
because they, uh, they're completely taken away if we're not willing to fight for them. So I ask you to please, uh, you know, get on, your, get on your knees and fold your hands and pray to God, but then when you get off your knees, be ready for the fight because it's coming. It's here now. Well, Father Jenkins, Mr. Conant, thank you both for being here tonight. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. Yeah. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you and God bless you.